Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. So Aaron, it's been a few days since we digested the first uh, the first part of this story. Um, have you cheated and kind of read ahead online? Like, do you know what's about to happen in this story? No, I, um, I'm keeping this pretty pure because I want to react in in real time um, as as the details come out through the episode. I want to be able to to have a, a genuine reaction to it. Yeah. Good. No, it's, it's a cool way to like because the the interview that we're hearing, like I was there, I did the interview and stuff. So it's weird for me to talk about an interview I've done, but it's it's makes it really cool to get your reaction and and kind of bounce it off you as we go. So mm-hmm. first thing we'll do, we'll just kind of get caught up with with where we were. So when we left off with uh, with Courtney's mom Lisa at the, at the end of the first episode, is basically we talked right through to the point of of Courtney's disappearance. So we heard about her upbringing, her troubled relationships, first with the the father of, of her young son, Jason Pike. Then we heard about her very troubled relationship with Philip Smith. She started dating another guy, but what happened was when Philip Smith got out of prison for that two-day sentence for his attack against her, that same day... She seemed to have simply disappeared after uh, going swimming or going for swimming lessons with her son and her ex, Jason Pike, who had been interested in rekindling their, their romance at that point. Um, so that, that's where we, where we left off. The very last moments was when Lisa, Courtney's mom, called Courtney at home at around 7 or 7.30 and said, you know, I'm going to bring you some food home. Courtney was excited about it. Lisa came home and you know, Courtney wasn't there. And from there, she went on to file the missing right. persons report. So and we were kind of looking at the three gentlemen as the uh, mm-hmm. as the possible suspects. Um, I- exactly. Yeah. Which which of these three guys may have had some involvement in it. And we did hear Courtney's mom, Lisa, who her belief at that point was that um, the the father of, of Courtney's son, Jason Pike, was involved in so the the next step in this, uh, and I explained this at the end of the last episode, is we're we're going to learn a lot more about Courtney's activities on that last day, her last known day, specifically her activities that evening. So what we heard and what we know about it so far was that Jason Pike picked her up early in the afternoon. Jason, her, and their young their young son Oliver went to swimming lessons. Jason dropped her off. Lisa called around 7, 7.30. When she got home later that night, Courtney wasn't there. 
The police investigation quickly turned to to CCTV footage opening. They even, like this case very early on was big news around Newfoundland. So people were, and, and people were encouraged to check CCTV footage, whether they had cameras at their home or on their cars or whatnot. So again, as this footage began to surface, we began to get a, a clearer picture of Courtney's activity. The first thing that that surfaced was video from an Esso gas station that was shot on June 7th at about 3.07 in the afternoon. So this would have been, I believe, right after the swimming lessons. There's not really much to say about this video other than to confirm Courtney seemed fine at that point. She basically walks up to the counter, makes a purchase, and walks away. So no one else is in the in the video with her, so it doesn't really tell us anything. It's just the first glimpse the public really got of, of Courtney that day. But the next piece of footage is really going to get the ball rolling on the investigation. It's So again, Lisa spoke to Courtney around 7, 7.30 and was going to come back home shortly after with food. We, found, we have a piece of video that surfaced at 7.52 that shows Courtney walking down her street after leaving her home. I asked uh, I asked Lisa about this video, where it came from, what it shows, and you know what her thoughts were. And that's the first clip we'll hear of uh, from my talk with Lisa. Um, and there's a piece of footage of Courtney just like walking down a street. What what is the story with that piece of video? That was the very first image they released of her, the first still image. Uh, that was leaving my house and walking up the road. Would this be her on the way to swimming or her after swimming on her way to... Her after swimming. All right. So at the the first video of um, of her, like seven, of, of her walking down the street, can you just tell me what you know about that video? Like where did it, or that image, like where did it come from? Like I said, my house, my house is a, my street is a one-way street. You come in like, I um, don't know, you're probably three car lanes, and then you have to turn, come down around the street. But when you make the turn, the house right there on that corner before you make the turn um, has video surveillance. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, when the investigative team put out the, the call for um, for video surveillance, that was the first one they got. And they found, yeah. and they and it's Courtney just alone walking down the street? Yes, it's Courtney headed toward Ruth Avenue, I will say, which is the busy street. So as we just hear this, this clip, it it's not going to blow the case open or anything. It basically just gives a direction Courtney was walking and shows that you know she was alive and well at seven fifty two ish, leaving her home on her own accord. You know, just like yeah. a regular person walking down the street. Yeah, and this is you know what twenty minutes after she spoke with her mom on the phone. Yeah, and that and that kind of makes me think that maybe she was just going out for. A quick trip somewhere because she would have been expecting to see her mom not long after. Yeah, see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine you'd leave the house at that point if your mother calls and's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to be home soon. I'm going to bring food." She's excited about it. Like, what would draw her out of the house at that point in time mm-hmm. to walk down the street alone? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, more footage is going to come through that is really going to give a, a picture of what was what was happening and again it's like a, it's hard to explain this 
this far after the fact, but this case was the type of story where everybody was talking about this. So presumably police were getting more information than the public was aware of. And some of that information would lead to investigators speaking to Lisa and breaking some bad news to her. So I'm going to first get to this clip of Lisa talking about the very unfortunate news she got from investigators about 20 days after Courtney's disappearance. And then we'll kind of back up into what Mm -hmm. information led them to, to do this. Okay. Courtney left here on June 7th, June the 27th. Um, a police officer, like, like the investigative team, 10, 10.02, my phone rang on a, on a Wednesday night. And he said, uh, he said, oh, hi, Lisa, are you in bed? And I said, no. He said, uh, we need to talk to you. I said, okay, do you want to drop out tomorrow or I'll drop down tomorrow? We need to talk now, he says. I said, you got her, don't you? Nope. I said, okay, come on, bye. So anyway, I phoned my sister Donna and Glendon, got him to be here. There's only three of us. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he came in, the lead investigator, and he sat by me. He just had this look of, oh, my God, I'm sorry. And four members of his team with him. Mm-hmm. He took my, one of my hand in his. <sighs> And he said, I'm sorry to tell you, your daughter's been murdered. And my mouth just dropped. And now between me and you, right to that second, from the day Courtney went missing, I blamed Jason Pike for her disappearance. So that's immediately what I said to the investigator. I said it was Jason Pike, right? And he shook his head. He said, no, it wasn't. Because this whole 20 days or 19 days, I've been, uh, I was saying to him, I know it's Jason Pike. And he said, no, Lisa, is that Jason? I said, well, who is it? And then I was afraid he was going to tell me some name that I've never heard tell of in the world. Mm-hmm. And he said it was a person, he said, known to her. He said that had court orders stay away from her. I said, Philip Smith. Yes, he said. And I said, I, I, I'm going to get at him. Well, he said, we really can't tell you the name. But he said, you know, you're right. But he said, he's going to be in court 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, I will be there. So anyway, he said, uh, my family didn't want me to go down. I said, oh, yes, I'm seeing him tomorrow morning. So anyway, it was only myself and Danny went down. And then the judge and the court clerk. And when the two sheriff's officers walked in with Philip. And he eyed me there. I put my glasses up on top of my head and I just gave him a look. And Danny still says, if that look could have caught him into pieces, he'd be up to insurance. Mm. And then he got the uh, the sheriff's officers to kind of shield him from me. And I give Danny a big poke. I said, move over. And I just glowed my eyes at him. And he almost said, thank you, judge, when the judge said, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and every court appearance after, he did it by video link. So that, that happened fast, but let's let's keep in mind that at this point, the police haven't specifically, well, the RNC, haven't specifically told Lisa that 
they believe Philip did it. They just kind of allowed her to, you know, get yeah, that information. They, out they of let the, her jump to that conclusion herself kind of thing. Yeah, but he has he's not been charged. That court appearance she referred to that she went to like the next day, he was actually arrested for breaching the conditions of the release earlier the month earlier in the month like the 20, 20 days prior because remember he got he got out after a 2-day sentence or whatever that uh, got out the day she disappeared some of the conditions that he had was that um he wouldn't break any laws and that he wouldn't go anywhere alcohol was served but i believe the reason they arrested him the for that court appearance she attended was he was caught driving his truck without a license and at I, I, he was at a bar or somewhere that alcohol was served and that was enough for them to take him back in right um so that's what we just heard so he he wasn't charged with her murder at this point um but but they were probably looking for a reason to get him in that's that's what i'm thinking and yeah. as far as why we'll go back to and what they know that we're going to learn now. We'll go back to the calls, the call out they made through the press and everywhere else asking people for video surveillance. A piece of video came in from the evening of her disappearance that has to be the most fortunate piece of video for Courtney and her family, the most unfortunate piece of video for Philip Smith. It's a video that was filmed shortly after that 752 clip of her leaving her home. It was in, I'll, I'll at least explain the video because it's, it's quite amazing that this exists. Yeah. Well, the estimate investigative team, the one that we had, the first still image from the, the neighbors up just up there on the corner. The first one that they gave that they have was at 754 PM um, and then we were lucky enough to get a um, video from a Metro bus camera here. And that picks up directly across the road. Uh, she's walking. Across, she has across Ruth Avenue in Mount Pearl. Um, you can see where the truck, she's, she's walking in Missioner Avenue. Uh, so he turns behind, he comes behind her and picks her up. When she gets in the truck, he does a very swift U-turn and um, off they go. And now initially, at least publicly, this truck wasn't specifically said to be Phillips, but but the it had unique characteristics. So can you tell me what about the vehicle in the video led you to, to know that it was Philip Smith's truck? Well, first of all, I had his license plate number. I've always had that for safety reasons, for finding Courtney and whatnot. Um, well, I could, couldn't see the license plate number on that. But what I could see was um, he had uh, the symbol, the Browning symbol i think it's called i thought it was some kind of a snake but it is of a, a wolf or deer or something i'm not sure he had that on the right back window and that's what everybody noticed on the video so it had the symbol and philip had the same philip had the same symbol yeah mm-hmm. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So if you didn't, if you didn't catch that, a bus dash cam filmed. It just so happened that the bus caught Courtney walking down the street. As a truck pulls up next to her, she hops in. The truck does a Yui and just takes off. And you don't get a in the vid, like I've watched the video a number of times, but you you don't get a look at who's driving. But as you heard Lisa describe, there's some characteristics of the truck that really are unmistakable. Like you you know like um, say like a truck that has like like a pickup truck. There's like the back mirror mm, or not yeah. the back mirror sorry the back window the window he, the back window yeah yeah he had a big kind of like sticker decal sort of thing that's a she said the company browning i, I don't know yeah. the symbol it's kind of like a moose head or something but anyway it's um it it's it's not like a tiny little sticker it took up like a quarter of that back window and it's as clear as day as uh, in the in the footage and it also there was a i think there was like a broken light or some other feature of of the truck that just made it unmistakable that it was yeah and i'm sure she's familiar enough with that vehicle to be able to catch it right away yeah you know uh, all the dealings that she's had with him like she said she even had his license plate number written down or memorized or or whatever because of the numerous situations and circumstances she's had with this individual oh yeah she was she was all over him and like she must have just had the intuition from Mm -hmm. early on to know that there was you know big problems and she although courtney didn't seem to um stay far away from him lisa was you know she was right there to make it difficult for for Philip yeah. to, to get at her, which is which is great, but and so how did they know to check this bus cam? Like, how did they had? I mean, I imagine they would have had to have gone through hours and hours of bus cam footage to, or were they? Did they just say, "Hey, let's pull the bus cams from this point in time to this point in time and see if we can find anything?" That'd be my guess, but but think at the same time is that first the clip they have from the neighbor's house at 752 they would know the direction she was going so if if the police investigators contacted the bus to find out which bus routes would run you know which buses and which routes would have been in that area you would have just like um you know a couple hours that you have to look at and you'd be able to narrow it down to a few buses like i think they could figure that out pretty quick i just wouldn't have thought that buses had cameras like looking out of the bus i would have assumed there was cameras like looking at yeah the maybe like stuff. looking in the bus yeah or like at the um passengers or mm-hmm. or whatever yeah but it's but i guess maybe it's to you know have any kind of documented video evidence of any car accident or something car accidents or, or you know maybe if they're in an investigation of some kind into a situation on a bus maybe they want to see 
that angle as well. I don't yeah, know. Or maybe just a mod. Yeah, there, there could be a billion reasons. But I guess it's mm-hmm. it's fortunate because with a bus and the way they're timed and their routes are organized, you can really figure out, you know, which bus would be where at roughly what time. So you could, you know, pretty quickly put it together. But it's just fortunate that that video happened to catch the moment that Philip pulled over and she hopped in and if like if you watch the video it's so short like it's you just you see him pull over and she kind of speeds up her walk and hops in the truck and he does a yui and it's like it's that quick so it's yeah yeah but if they didn't have that it would be very hard to connect him because that this is going to be the one thing that really gets the attention put towards philip and and it's it's already it's not looking good because think he got out for sharing intimate photos and beating her up he got up he got out of jail for that this morning like the morning that this happened yeah like and that's why i always found it weird that the mother you know always suspected the father of her child Mm -hmm. yeah first when to me logically philip is the one that i would gravitate towards or even the new guy, because that would be the person that she would most likely be with. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, you know, the, the, the father of the, of the child. Like, that's... Yeah. I can't see why she had such a fixation on him in the early stages, when Philip seems like the obvious choice. So, remember now that when the police went to Lisa's home and said, you know, we believe Courtney's dead. And she kind of got out of them that they thought Philip did it. Philip was arrested for breaching those conditions and he was in custody. So investigators had him right where they wanted him. And, you know, he's, as you can imagine, he's being shown this video and being grilled about, you know, what went on after, after that U-turn and, you know, where the heck Courtney is. Do you remember what he said, like what his version of the story was about what happened that night? Uh, well, apparently the Tom Moore, the lead investigator, had gone over that with him because he, uh, when he was first arrested and he admitted to it, um, Tom said, okay, where'd you take her? Because that's what we had talked about. I said, no, Tom, he dropped her off to the mall. Somebody had to see her. If he dropped her off out on the highway... It had to be a car passer, and she'd try to flag him down. Or if you dropped her off at Tim Hortons, somebody got to have seen her. So anyway, what he didn't tell me what places there he said, but he told him one place, and Tom Warner, lead investigator, went back to him, and he said, Philip, by your story, is not making off. And Philip got all off strapless and right, confused, and he said, I was in so much, under so much stress. He said, but I'm not. Don't know what I was saying, he said. I told you I dropped her out here, right? And Tom Warren said, no, that's not what you told me. Yeah, that's where I dropped her out, he So Tom Warren went back again. Come back again, he said, Philippa, you got me on a wall goose And Philip said, no, man, no, man. He said, I'm telling you, I dropped her out there. And the investigator said, but that's not what you told us yesterday. Mm-hmm. But that's where. So they went the third time, and then they said, Jake, we're not going nowhere else. Just three places didn't pan out, neither one of them, where he said he dropped her off. So I can kind of picture the way that would go down. I, I That would be a pretty frustrating interview for 
you know, the interrogator to be like, you know, we basically we got you and you're just not going to tell us. Like that's what it sounds like. Yeah, going just on. a straight up not cooperate at all, or like, you know, maybe he's trying to figure out if I can if I can send them one way. Maybe I, it'll buy me time to to piece a story together, to figure this out, to figure some way out of this. Maybe he's just he's buying time at this he's point, just grasping for brand, like branches. Yeah, out. like me, you know, I I took her over there. Then they're like, well. That's not what you told us yesterday, and he's like, "Well, yeah, well, we did, uh, you know, we did the episode with the uh, the Big Ben's murder and the Mister Big Sting. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of reminds me of. In that story, they had the guy. Uh, they filmed him admitting to the murder to an undercover cop, and then the next day when they presented him to the video, he, they're like, "Do you remember, you know, talking to a guy?" Yeah. He's like, "I don't remember that." Yeah, yeah. but it's <laughs> it's just it's almost pointless at this point, Philip. Uh, if he wants to get out of this and get them off his back, and if he didn't do it, then he has to tell them now what the hell is going on. And it sounds like yeah. he's not not doing that. Yeah, it sounds like not everything is adding up here with his story. Yeah, so obviously he's going to be their their main focus, the investigators. Uh, they're going to be all over him, but they, they have him in custody for breaching the conditions earlier, but they're not able to hold him indefinitely they're holding him I, I believe it was initially going to be for 90 days that he was held for for those offenses and again at this point he still hasn't been charged with murder or anything related to Courtney's disappearance and things are really going to get interesting when he gets released so he's in for 90 days he actually gets out a little bit earlier than planned Lisa Courtney's parents Courtney's mom at this point I'm sure she's convinced he did it as are many other people. And Philip's basically free to go to continue to live. So I asked Lisa, you know, what was life like at this point, living in the same community with this guy as you're actively, you know, on the hunt for, for your daughter? He was supposed to get out on September the 4th. He got out 16 days early because of good behavior. Jesus. Jesus is right. So, so from when he was released in August, did you have any contact with him or see him around town or anything at all? Um, I had seen him because I used to drive around his house probably five or six times a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I never had any conditions to stay away from him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't wasn't actually hunting him or nothing like that, but that's what I was trying to do in a legal way. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to drive him out of his head. To be honest with you. And he just went about life, I guess, as uh, seemingly as normal for this period? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty wild to imagine this going on. She's Oh, I mean, he's he's sweating this whole thing, and then he has the mother just stalking him the entire time. Yeah, she's... Um... She's all over him. Like she, she said there five or six times a day she was driving by his house. I'm sure he saw yeah. almost everyone because, you know, if if he did it, he, you know, he and he knows they're on to him. Like he must be, you know, peeking out the windows. I'm sure of it. Oh, constantly like, oh, here she comes again and again and again, like just sweating the entire yeah, it's time. It's like, what's that? There's the... I don't know if it's Poe, but there's like an old story about like the the beating heart under the floorboards. 
the yeah, telltale yeah. heart. Uh, telltale heart. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's what he's got going on. I'm, I'm sure he is mm-hmm. um, a wreck with panic, and she is, you know, feeling probably something very similar. She just wants to know what the hell happened to her daughter, and you know if there's if, she, yeah. if she's alive, and you know. And you would want. Yeah, she's a very intense woman to begin with. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, to get on her bad side, especially to be involved in the disappearance or murder of her daughter. Yeah. Uh, is going to definitely um, turn the dial up on things for sure. Mm-hmm. Talking about the dial being turned up and Philip being paranoid and kind of backed into a corner. The next thing we're going to get to. Um, is maybe the climax of that. And the next thing we're going to get to is going to make this case way, way more difficult to solve. So anyway, um, Colin, my son, had just gotten home from Iqaluit. Uh, He's welding in gold mine up there, mm-hmm. Halloween night. So and then we were off late. And uh, so on a quarter date that morning of November the 1st, the big rampage is knocking on the door. And we got a little dog that started to go mad, and Colin's in bed, him and his girlfriend, mother, who's that? And I was trying to get my feet to the floor when it knocked again. And I said, you son of a bitch, you ever yeah, I'm going to kill me, you know, for banging like that. And when I come down, even before I opened the door, I could see Tom's face through the glass, and I knew, I said, it's something. And I opened the door, I said, you got her? No, he said, we got a talk. And like, even that... The way he talked to me was different. Mm. And I said, what? So anyway, he said, Philip Smith just, uh, no, Philip Smith is dead. I said, I fucking told you, didn't I? But I couldn't keep him detained because of what I said. I said, sometimes you have to listen to people when they they know things are going to happen. So anyway, yes, Lisa, he said, we know. We know you warned us about it. But he said, like I talked to you and you agreed and said that we couldn't arrest him on circumstantial evidence and then him get away with it on a technicality. Mm -hmm. I said, no, that's exactly what I didn't want. So anyway, he said, we're on the way to the uh, the scene now. I said, we're seen. And Tom kind of giggled, knowing me. He said, Lisa, I'm not telling you where the scene is because he said, if I do, you'll be there before I am. But anyway, his his father has a cabin out in Bellevue Beach. Do you know where that is? No, I don't know the area. Yeah, just going out the highway, I'd say 40 minutes out past St. John's. <laughs> and like it's a little community, but there's a campground there, too, in cabins. So anyway, he phoned his mom and dad at 7 o'clock that evening and uh, said he didn't want to live anymore. He hung himself. And they never found him until seven in the morning. I don't know. Now, aside from Philip, are you aware at this point of any other suspects in Courtney's death, with the exception of the people who maybe were assisting Philip? No, no. Um, um, he was the only suspect. He was the only person of interest, yeah. So this piece of news really changes things. He took the coward's way out of 
what was coming to him, I think. Right. It, it certainly, um, you know, points things in his direction even further. Yeah. Because obviously he was um, dealing with the guilt of this uh, murder. With the walls closing and in around him. Yeah, yeah. And realizing the only way out is to kill himself. That seems to be seems to be it, but he didn't leave a note behind like what like if yeah, I don't know. Like um at least he could the least he could have done was left a note behind and maybe said where she is and what happened. But not even like that didn't even happen. He took everything took with, it him, with him. He the, took everything he knows. Yeah, he took the answers to the grave. Yeah. So she's where we are now like we'll get to it, but we He's never been charged with her murder. Police have said, you know, he's dead, but he's our only suspect. Mm-hmm. He's the last person that she was with. Um, and remember as well, like after she disappeared, he was online saying he believed that her new boyfriend killed him, killed her. So right, right. he was trying to, you know, get get the target off him. I think like in my mind, and I'm sure in most people who are following this story's mind, there's no question that philip smith murdered courtney that night and hid her somewhere as a way to prevent himself from being caught for it yeah yeah so the big thing like kind of the big question that comes out of this in a story like this where she's missing she's said to be murdered but you know it hasn't been proven and they haven't found her is like how do you find closure like how does a family kind of move on and you know they've been mm-hmm. th- there's been so many searches as uh, trying to find her body i asked lisa what is closure in a case like this and now what what are you hoping for or what do you hope happens next or, or what will be closure for you like what is the best case scenario or the to find her to find her She has to be brought home, as I say in every public speech. She deserves the dignity to be brought home. She deserves the dignity of a burial. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say no young girl. Not my daughter deserves this. She deserves better than this. That was pretty tough to hear. Yeah, well, when you have this traumatic experience just kind of looming out there, like you still, you don't have that body, you don't have that closure. It's, it just kind of stays with you and it haunts you and it drags you down and, and it's, it's awful to hear about. I think, like, I'm surprised at how, like, given how horrific and just, devastating this all is i'm surprised she's even able to like to talk about it like she had Mm -hmm. the she kind of you she broke down a little bit there and and it'll happen again as we get go further into the interview with her but up until this point she's described like an absolute nightmare and just 
Oh, like in yeah, plain, like in plain English. I'm, I'm shocked that she was able to do it. As I was talking to her, I was just blown away that she had her composure and just ability to recount the facts. And Yeah, she seems super strong like, yeah, to be able and, to do that. But at the same time, I think she's probably driven by the fact that the better job she does of getting the story out there, the more likely, you know, it's going to kind of... Um, Someone's going to shake the cobwebs yeah, and knock yeah. some stuff out as as well as simply gain supporters. Like if, you know, if 20,000 people find out about this story, you know, there's there's going to be 500 of them that are going to be really swayed by it. And to the point that they're going to try to help or do something. That's the way that I, I think that's a, the way it would work anyway. And maybe that's her motivation. But either way, it's horrific and painful and tragic there's another part of it that for me, I don't know why, but this next piece really sticks to me. And so again, I don't think there's any doubt that Philip killed her daughter. You heard her hint when she described how she found out he was, that he killed himself. She told the police officer, like I told you, you know, I knew it. And they said, yeah, you warned us. What she was talking about is she knew Philip Smith to be suicidal In fact, before he killed Courtney, she, Lisa Lake, Courtney's mom, actually saved his life from a suicide attempt a couple months before he killed, probably killed her daughter. And that is, it's, it's just unimaginable. I told the police, I told everybody that I knew within one month after Philip got out of, out of jail, he was going to commit suicide. Wow. You can ask anybody that knows me. And I, I knew it. He found me here one night in April. And I said, Philip, where are you to? Hated his guts, but had to tolerate him for Gordon. Mm-hmm. I said, Philip, where are you? And she was, this was the first time she was going to St. Lawrence to be with Ryan. And I said, Philip, where are you? At the airport, he said. And I said, what's wrong with your voice? Oh, I just called mother and my sister said, told him I loved them. I said, Philip, don't be so foolish, by. I said, where are you? He said, I'm at the airport now. I laid down the phone. I looked at Danny. I said, come on. He said, where are we going? I said, but we got to go to the airport. So I phoned Samantha, his sister, and told her to call that I had just got. So she went to his house, and so she went in there that night. That car, that truck was backed up right in the center of that house, so you couldn't see her from the road. Mm. He had taken the exhaust from his clothes dryer. He had one end of it taped to his exhaust in his truck, and another end taped going into the window of the truck. Mm. And by the time Samantha got to him, he spent, I think, 72 hours in the hyperbaric chamber at Health Science. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's another time I says, if I hadn't made that call, I'd have Courtney here. So that must be tough to live with. It's, she did the right thing by saving him, but like in hindsight... Mm. Well, in the moment, yeah, you're like, well, I got to go save this guy's life. But then when you look back at it and you're like, if I have had have just 
ignored him at that time, then yeah, you yeah, should still it have just, her daughter. It strikes me as like there's so many li- just little things in the story, like the bus managing to catch that that little clip that would lead to Philip being involved, and this is just another one where it's just this kind of sort of coincidental thing where you know like how much the world would have changed for her had she had not like answered the phone or something that day it's oh yeah but it's that that just must be so hard to live with you also have to try and not dwell on those things either you can't it everything in hindsight is what it is but to to dwell on your decision making at the time not knowing what's going to happen in the future like that'll keep you up at night and you you got to try and block that out you know, you can't beat yourself up over decisions like that. Yeah. I think it's the reason maybe it's affecting me so much or sticking with me is I'm the type that forever worries about things I have no control over or past decisions that are kind of sometimes even inconsequential. So this is the piece that like this would be something that would just be a, a, a knife in my back. But I'm sure. Oh, it would eat away at me, too, I because I, I'm the same way. I would sit there and dwell on it over and over again. But. The, you know, being a strong individual to be able to block that out and not let it, not beat yourself up over it. You know, that's the, that's the, the trick. So now to start wrapping this up, the way I see it is at this point, Philip's dead. The Canadian justice system, had he been, you know, say, put to trial and convicted or if he confessed or something, there's no way he would have got the death penalty. It doesn't exist in Canada. So a part of me is like his punishment is kind of the best result where it's it's wiped him off the face of the earth and he'll never do something like this again. Yeah. At the but, same time, though, mm-hmm. um, it seemed like he was he wanted to kill himself anyway. Yeah. So he's getting out of it. Yeah. So the suicide is not so much a straight up admission of guilt anymore it's like he obviously already wanted to kill himself before he murdered anybody so like when i first heard that he killed himself i'm like well obviously he did it you know but But then then now you're like oh well he was already suicidal before all of this happened Hmm. yeah interesting way to look at it Uh, i would i never i never considered that but I think the evidence is there. Like just like, oh, he clearly did it. Yeah. I, I'm the yeah. type where knowing that she got into his car that night and he tried to hide it, that's enough for me. That I'm like either he did it or he was very closely involved to it being done. Yeah, uh, if he didn't do it, he would have had no reason to change his story and lie and 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 all of this and and you know he would have been like well you know i was with her but i dropped her off here and i never saw her again mm-hmm. yeah but i guess the question is uh i asked what i asked lisa when as i was winding it down is i asked her if she felt in any way that any kind of justice was served where philip's not with us i knew her answer wasn't going to be like yes this was justice but mm-hmm. i kind of wanted to see how she would tackle kind of the topic of of justice uh, given this unusual and kind of uh, anticlimactic end to you know her quest for justice basically 
you know, so where we're on the topic of of Philip's mm-hmm. passing, where where yeah. he he did it to himself and he's he's dead now. Do, do you feel yeah. any sense of of justice with the end as it is now? I feel uh, justice was cheated. Like I I can honestly not say a bad word about our police here. Uh, they did what they could and what they had. You know, like Tom Lynch or Tom Warren, the lead investigator, he has since been transferred to uh, Lab Labrador West. He came to see me the day before he flew out. He stood off in my kid in my living room, and Danny is here, and he can tell you. And he broke his heart crying, and as he hugged me, I'm gonna cry now. He said, Lisa, I feel I let you down so bad. And I said, Tom, you didn't let me down. And he didn't. No, we have nothing but the highest respect for Tom and any staff. Yeah. So as it stands now, we're we're basically at the end of the the interview and the end of the storytelling here, but it's it's really like there's still this massive loose end being Courtney still hasn't been found she's somewhere like it happened fast whatever happened where because they have Philip Philip's activity I think like it picks up like the next morning that they locate him so he could it's not like you know Newfoundland it's not the kind of place where you could go two states or two provinces over and do something like it's um of course it's surrounded it's big yeah, it's it's, it's big <laughs> There's, it's large. It's large. There's a lot of water. There's a lot of forest. And surrounded by water. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, but it's, like, I just feel, like, I'm surprised that something hasn't been found to that would either lead to Courtney or maybe at least point in, the, in a direction. But it really hasn't, and not due to lack of searching. There, ha- I mentioned it already earlier in the episode, is there's been a ton of searches organized by... Friends of Courtney, family members, or just community members who tried to pitch in and help. There's a there's a massive online community. There's a Facebook group called Help Us Find Courtney that has I don't even know how many, maybe like twenty thousand people or something. And and they're kind of this is this massive group rallying around Lisa and Courtney's friends that, you know, since she disappeared, they've been trying to connect the dots and, you know, do whatever they can to keep Courtney's name and face out there and, you know, keep people interested. But at this point, there's still no answer. And as far as what exactly happened and where she is, we've heard Lisa say, you know, she wants a burial and to bring Courtney home. Yeah, she deserves that. And that's absolutely. And then and then it's also like you can't forget the fact that she has a young son who's now growing up kind of in the shadow of this. Mm-hmm. It's it's um it's a horrible story, one of the worst I can imagine. Yeah, it leaves the leaves the family in limbo, and it's it's just an awful situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, I had mentioned this as well as the, kind of the idea that if you know if twenty thousand people listen to this, there's going to be a, a small percentage that really want to get involved and do something about it. the The last thing I asked. Lisa, before we wrapped it up, was for people who want to help or get involved in some way, what can we do to support her? And she had a few ideas, but ultimately this 
pretty hard to listen to some of this. So now for for those of like people like myself or just random people that either aren't in Newfoundland or aren't connected to the case, what can we yeah. do to help to help you and your family find Courtney and find justice? Like what would you like people to do to support you? Um, say prayers. Keep her in your mind. Keep her in your heart. Pay attention to the news and if people around you seem strange or, you know, they hold on to every word somebody says, you know? You don't know. They may be revealing something that you're not expecting. So that's about it. And now... I know it's going to be impossible to sum this up, but can you tr- can you try to tell me what the world has lost by not having Courtney in it, and what impact this her death or her murder has on you and her, her loved ones and her community? Well, I'm left without the only daughter I had. My mother's left without her first granddaughter. Uh, my sisters are left without their first niece. More importantly and all, her seven-year-old son is left without his mommy. And, I mean, her her extended family, relatives, cousins. I mean, you know, Courtney was always, she was liked by everybody, you know? She, um, you know, she had this smile, and if somebody said she was ever going to do something, oh, no, I'll do that for you, you don't have to do that. Like, she was right there to jump in and help her, or help somebody, help anybody to do anything, to straighten their lives out, or, you know, she would do, she would do without it herself if it would help somebody else. I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I for the conclusion of our talk surrounding the disappearance and murder of Courtney Lake. I've heard from many listeners that have been moved by Courtney's story and by her mother Lisa's search for her daughter's remains. I hope that Courtney and Lisa have found new advocates and supporters among the listeners of Nighttime. To show your support, stay up to date with the case, I suggest joining the Help Find Courtney Facebook group. I've added links in the show notes that'll help get you there. As well, if anyone listening has information that could help find Courtney, please contact the RNC at 709-729-8000. And with that, we'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I'm going I'm to give some thanks. First, a huge thank you to Lisa Lake for taking the time to share her family's heartbreaking story with us. Next, I want to give a big thank you to Monty Data for providing the musical theme for this episode. It's called Noir. And lastly, but most importantly, a huge thank you to all the listeners of Nighttime. Without you, Nighttime would have seen the light of day many moons ago. That said, if you want to help keep the lights off here at nighttime, let me suggest the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can access a separate feed in which the episodes are posted a bit earlier than in the free feed, and are done so without paid advertising. 
but simply beyond the regular episode, the premium feed also includes additional content that'll help you dig a bit deeper into the rabbit hole. You can access the Nighttime Premium Feed at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest members of the supporter group. Melissa and Mary, thank you for your generous support. For anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you're using. If you want to stay up to date with my activities on or off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. And if you have any story ideas or would like to give feedback on the show, contact me at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. Now until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Listeners, while you wait for the next episode of Nighttime, let me recommend another podcast to check out. My pal Reese has a great show called Canadian Politics is Boring. If you want to hear some unexpectedly wild stories from Canadian political history, Canadian Politics is Boring is the show for you. Hi, I am Reese, and I am from the podcast Canadian Politics is Boring, and we have 60 seconds to hard sell you why you should listen to our comedy show. So, Jesse, have you got any reasons why they should check us out? Absolutely not, but you told me to be more enthusiastic, so that's what I'm going to be. It's got stories about funny politics in Canada. Bear wrestling, aliens, alcoholics galore, seances with ghosts, dogs that are your mother, or the fact that Justin Trudeau's father might actually be Fidel Castro, or Or not, or not, or not, not. yeah, or Or not, yeah. So are you driving to work, or are you on your bicycle listening to a podcast, or are you perhaps taking care of your children and you just really want to drown them out? Uh, Put us in your ear holes. Search Canadian Politics is Boring on your favorite podcast app, or go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com to check out our half-finished website. (laughs) 